This free program is paid for by the listener members of KPFK. If you're not already a member, consider joining with us and keep free speech alive. You're going to love this. Just love it. Yes, I do. It never, never is. And I'm never scared. I should add that right off the top. Mm-hmm. Yes, I am. Finally. Finally stuck in the middle with you again right here on KPFK. This is your broadcast. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen, investigative journalist, blogger, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow broadcasting live once again from Los Angeles at the beautiful KPFK Pacifica Radio Studios, KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org and, by the way, on the uh, Stitcher radio app on your mobile device. If you don't have the uh, Stitcher app, get it, because then if you miss the broadcast on any given day, you can uh, hear it automagically on your cell phone or on your iPad or wherever. Uh, boy, it's good to be back. Been gone a couple of weeks during the fun drive, but uh, delighted to be back. Lots and lots of stuff to cover here over the next hour. We are going to be joined, uh, very excited, uh, looking very forward uh, to speaking with the former Ohio Secretary of State, Jennifer Bruner, shortly uh, about the mess that is going on. Who'd have thunk it? A mess in Ohio before a presidential election? What are the odds? Uh, there's a... Oh, hang on here. All right. Uh, what are the odds? She's going to be joining us shortly, and we're going to be talking about that mess and many others today. And we will have uh, Desi Doyen will be joining us for some green news a little bit later in the show. Who knows? We'll maybe even get to your calls. Uh, but I got a lot to catch up on since we've been off for the last couple of weeks. Uh, disasters all over the country, frankly, as we barrel towards November. Folks who know, who know uh, my work at bradblog.com, who know uh, what we do here on the Bradcast, know well that while everyone else seems to be covering the horse race, we are covering, once again, the track conditions on which those horses run, uh, since uh, often it's the track conditions that have just as much to say about who wins or loses uh, as anything else. So we'll be covering the track conditions today, and maybe occasionally, who knows, a little bit of what the horses leave behind on that track. You can also uh, listen, uh, you can follow us over at the Twitters. I am the Brad blog over there. Also on Facebook, I am the Brad blog. Okay, all of that out of the way. Got all the business out of the way. Excellent. Ohio. Oh, my Ohio. Uh, here's how it goes. Here's how it went in 2004. In 2004, the disaster, the debacle that was the Ohio presidential election, 
under the uh, uh, the the uh, care, the loving care of Republican Secretary of State at the time, J. Kenneth Blackwell, who happened to also serve as the co-chair of the uh, Bush-Cheney re-election campaign back in 2004. Back in 2004 in Ohio with J. Kenneth Blackwell, there were some uh, just over 600,000 absentee voters in the state of Ohio. It's about 7%. Uh, of the electorate, 7% of the registered voters, uh, 10% of the votes cast total were cast by absentee back in 2004. And uh, if anyone was paying attention, as we were back then, there were disasters at the polling places, specifically in Democratic counties around the state where there weren't enough voting machines allocated, where people were standing in line for two hours, 12 hours, uh, in some places in 2004, that was no mistake. That was under J. Kenneth Blackwell, the Republican Secretary of State of Ohio at the time. After that given mess uh, in 2005, they passed uh, some new uh, laws, expanding voting, early voting uh, in the state of Ohio to ease the Election Day madness. And in fact, uh, four years later, uh, in 2008, the number had uh, actually almost tripled the number of early and absentee voters, went up to 1.7 million in the state of Ohio. That's 20% of the registered voters voted through early absentee voting in 2008. So we're jumping from uh, 7% of registered voters in 2004 to 20.7% of registered voters in 2008 under the new Democratic Secretary of State, Jennifer Brunner. Uh, things went a lot better in 2008, needless to say, and uh, the vote was uh, was turned out. Everybody got to vote. We'll find out how well it went in a moment when we speak with Jennifer Brewer, Brunner. But now uh, early voting hours, expanded early voting hours across the state of Ohio have once again become the focal point in the crucial Buckeye State this year. Early and absentee voting in Ohio was extremely popular after it was implemented for the first time back in 2006 and during 2008. Uh, but uh, it eased what happened in 2004. It seemed like a good idea. Hundreds of thousands of voters took advantage of specifically weekend early and absentee voting hours in the Buckeye State in 08, And then... Republicans swept into power in 2010, into the legislature, into the governor's office and the secretary of state's office in 2010. When the Republicans came in, they attempted to implement restrictions on early absentee voting. Most notably, they ended early voting in the three days before the Tuesday election day. When some 200,000 Ohio voters turned out, many of them, by the way, from African-American churches, on the Sunday before the election in their Souls to the Polls program, uh, 200,000 had voted uh, in those last three days before the Tuesday election day. Well, Republicans had to put a stop to that. A stop to that they did. And a popular uprising occurred in response to those new restrictions on early voting. More than 300,000 signatures were turned in turned in to suspend the law and force that law uh, onto the November 2012 ballot, a people's veto, if you will, of that Republican law, those restrictions on early voting. 
In the meantime, thanks to some chicanery by Republicans in the state legislature, uh, even though that law was suspended, they ended up repealing the law, and yet they were still able to keep all but active-duty military members in Ohio from being allowed to vote in the three days prior to the election. That's coming up this year. Only active-duty military voters will be able to vote in those three days before the uh, Tuesday election. The the Obama uh, administration and the DNC have filed suit to open up those three days to all voters in Ohio. Since early voting sites will already be, they're going to be open anyway for the military, though not, we should note here, some 900,000 veterans in the state. Apparently the Republicans don't care if the veterans get to vote in those three days before the election. So the Romney campaign, along with their friends at Fox News, have subsequently lied about the Obama lawsuit. And they're charging that the Obama uh, campaign is attempting to keep military voters from being able to vote in those last three days. It is, of course, a complete lie. Romney, on his uh, Facebook page a few weeks ago, said, uh, quote, President Obama's lawsuit claiming it is unconstitutional for Ohio to allow servicemen and women extended early voting privileges during the state's early voting period is an outrage. The brave men and women of our military make tremendous sacrifices to protect and defend our freedom, and we should do everything we can to protect their fundamental right to vote. I stand with the 15 military groups that are defending the rights of military voters, and if I'm entrusted to be the commander-in-chief, said Mitt Romney, I'll work to protect the voting rights of our military, not undermine them. That was Mitt Romney. Of course... It was a complete lie. It turns out that the uh, the suit filed by the Democrats uh, is exactly the opposite of the way Romney described it. Obama is suing to include more voters, not to disenfranchise or undermine any of them no matter how much Mitt Romney shamelessly pretends to be outraged by it. A decision from the uh, federal court is expected very soon in that case. But in the meantime, (laughs) this is where it begins to get really ugly. In the meantime, another related battle has come about over the past couple, uh, couple of weeks. County boards of elections in each of Ohio's 88 counties have been voting on whether to expand hours for early voting to nights and weekends since the Republican state law was was repealed by uh, by popular demand and and it no longer specifies what days or hours uh, should be available for early voting. So county boards of elections in Ohio are made up of two Democrats and two Republicans each. And when the board finds themselves in a tie, the secretary of state is called in to break that tie. Over the past several weeks, in Republican counties, the boards uh, had been voting for expanded early voting hours on weeknights and weekends. Both Republicans and Democrats, remember the boards are split uh, two to two each board, both Republicans and Democrats had agreed to expand voting hours in the Republican counties. But in the Democratic counties, while the Democrats on the board were voting in favor of expanded hours, the Republicans were voting against the expanded hours, leading to a tie that had to be decided by the new Republican Secretary of State, John Husted. 
In each case, Husted sided with the Republicans for limiting voting hours to workday hours only. He would not allow expanded uh, weeknights and weekend votings. He was claiming there needed to be consistency across the state. And then last week, after some uh, bad uh, press on this, Husted issued a directive. Because what had happened was there was expanded weeknight and weekend hours in Republican counties, but no expanded early voting hours in Democratic-leaning counties, including some of the largest counties in the state, like Cuyahoga, Cleveland, and so forth. So Husted issued his directive to all 88 counties, claiming he wanted consistency in voting across the entire state, so he declared that early voting should take place during weekdays only, no weekend voting even though it was so popular and helpful to voters in 2008. Yes, to Democratic voters, but to Republican voters alike, to all voters. Uh, It helped ease the mess that we saw in 2004. Husted's office, uh, nonetheless, well, in Montgomery County, I should say, uh, in Montgomery County, which had previously voted to expand uh, voting hours on weeknights and weekdays, In that county, the two Democratic members of the board moved to vote on weekends only despite the directive issued by the Secretary of State. They charged that Husted's directive did not explicitly bar weekend voting. It only specified what hours should be used during the week. And Husted's office has uh, now demanded that those two Democratic Board of Election officials in Montgomery County, Dennis Lieberman and Tom Ritchie Sr., withdraw their vote for extended hours but they have refused to do so. In the bargain, they have now been suspended by the Secretary of State, pending a hearing this coming Monday when it will be decided if they will be fired for not following the directive. In the meantime, uh, Doug Price, a chair of the Franklin County Republican Party and an elections board member there who commented uh, on the entire mess to the Columbus Dispatch, said, quote, I guess I really actually feel we shouldn't contort the voting process to accommodate the urban, read African-American voter turnout machine. So that's uh, where we are now. The partisan knives are now out in the Buckeye State. So will this be another 2004-style disaster as carried out under then-very-partisan Republican Secretary of State J. Kenneth Blackwell? Uh, as people are digging in their heels, or is there hope for a more reasonable election like the one that was held in 2008 under Democratic Secretary of State uh, Jennifer Brunner? Here to answer that question and much more and explain what the hell is going on in Ohio this year is none other than the former Secretary of State Jennifer Brunner. Uh, Madam Secretary, welcome to the broadcast. Hi, Brad. Good to talk to you again. So good to have you here. It's been uh, many years since we chatted, and uh, boy, who'd have, who'd have thunk we'd have had a, a mess again this year in Ohio, but uh, there you go. Let me give you a proper introduction. Uh, Jennifer Brunner was elected as Ohio Secretary of State from uh, 2000, in 2006. She served until 2010 when she ran an unsuccessful bid for the U.S. Senate. She was the Democratic Secretary of State uh, who served the uh, the first Democratic Secretary of State to serve in the Buckeye State after 12 years of Republican rule in that office. Uh, she was also Ohio's first female Secretary of State. 
and uh, was then replaced in 2010 by John Husted. Her new book, Cupcakes and Courage, a memoir of her experiences in the Secretary of State's office and running for the U.S. Senate and what she learned along the way, will be published in two weeks. And uh, I should also add that in 2002 points here, in 2008, she earned a Profiles in Courage Award for her reform of the electronic voting system in Ohio after a massive landmark study of the state's electronic voting system that she commissioned uh, and that found them to be error-prone and easily manipulated by election insiders. She now works as an attorney with an expertise in election law and campaign finance. Okay, great to have you here. Before we get into the details uh, of the specifics of what Husted is now doing uh, in threatening to fire these two Democratic uh, County Board, uh, Montgomery County Board of Elections officials. Tell me, uh, Jennifer Brunner, how early voting worked in 08 and 2010 during your tenure and how it was different from what occurred under your predecessor in the uh, in the debacle that was the 2004 election? Well, the the difference between 08 and what had occurred before was really sort of a backfired plan of the Republicans in Ohio who were trying to stop a statewide ballot issue in 2005 that would have allowed no-fault absentee voting. So instead, they passed it because they wanted to convince the public that there was no reason to pass this as a statewide ballot issue, which also was paired with things like uh, campaign finance reform, redistricting reform, Mm -hmm. changing how the Secretary of State's office ran, and, um, yeah, I think, I think they thought that this would probably benefit Republicans because previously when you, you had absentee voting that was based on having a reason, it was much more heavily Republican. But when you bring in, as time went on, when you brought in sort of this technician, tactician, community organizing approach of the Obama campaign, mm-hmm. they were able to take the, these new rules and make them work for people in poverty, people who didn't always have access to voting, and to make voting easier for a lot of people and to make sure that they could bank a lot of votes before Election Day. So once again, this backfired on them. And so <laughs> in in looking ahead, uh, after we completed the 2008 election, we said, look, we know things went well here in Ohio, but we know that it could be better. We know that we could do things to improve access, to improve the election law. So we put together a great bipartisan group and moved forward with some sort of omnibus legislation. We didn't get it all the way through. Again, the legislature couldn't quite see fit to, to go ahead and get it passed in a bipartisan fashion. So this bill was revived and turned into a bill called House Bill 194, but it was again then that the GOP-controlled legislature decided that it would use this bill as a way to attack early voting since what they tried the first time didn't work. Mm-hmm. So here they were going to constrict it by cutting it from five weeks down to three weeks and then eliminating by law any ability to vote on Sunday, which, if you ask me, was clearly aimed at programs like Souls to the Polls that many churches, especially mm-hmm. in the African-American communities, would use on Sunday and only until noon on Saturday. Uh, so so there were a group of us who saw not only this but a lot of other problems with this bill and we organized a petition drive. We created a group called Fair Elections Ohio, and uh, we actually were able to achieve enough signatures with the help of the Obama campaign to get this on the ballot. Now, then the legislature responded by 
repealing the bill, mm-hmm. only in part. Uh, and it's it's been um, a bit of a dummy brook in Ohio, I'm, I'm embarrassed <laughs> to say. Well, yeah, it has been. How... Uh, and, and before I get to the specifics of the, uh, you know, just what John Houston is doing here, would you say, how key would you say that early voting, the addition of early voting in the presidential election in 2008, uh, both on weeknights uh, and on weekends, uh, how key was that, not necessarily to Obama winning the state, but how key was that to improving the way the election ran overall on Election Day, on the Tuesday Election Day in 08 as compared to 04? Four. Oh, it, what, what this did was we had 30% of Ohio's voters voting before the election, mm-hmm. which eased the crowds on Election Day. So I remember on Election Day in 2008, I, I, I wasn't getting any calls about any problems at any polling locations. I felt like I was a caged lion all day <laughs> around waiting for something to happen. And we, we had... No long lines. We had a few long lines at the opening of the polls because I think people were anticipating what they've experienced in 2004. But then the rest of the day, it was pretty breezy. And then uh, no lawsuits that kept any polling places open. And so as a result, we had prepared our election night reporting system to sustain, oh, more than 60 million hits within a two- to three-hour period. But CNN and other stations were calling the election in Ohio before 9 o'clock. And, and, and that was with uh, an increased turnout in 08, right? The much, right. much in, bigger crowd in 08 than 04. Yes, we had more people vote for the office. We, we had more people vote in, in any Ohio election in November of 2008 than we've ever had in our history, and more people voted for Barack Obama for president in Ohio than have voted for any other presidential candidate in the history of Ohio. So it does show Ohio is a bit of a battleground state put it mildly yes but but it, it it's um it's it's just people people are sad to see things going backward uh once you give people freedom and you pull it back they feel it and they ask why why are you doing this to us do, do you feel that this is very specifically an attempt to go backwards is this an attempt to suppress the vote in Ohio, to suppress the Democratic vote, to suppress the African-American vote. Is that what uh, the legislature is doing? And is that what your successor, uh, John Husted, is trying to do uh, with these uh, restrictions on early voting hours now? Well, it's, it's a combination of things. The election officials, because they have, especially because the majority of the counties are using the touchscreen voting machines, mm-hmm. And because the incidence of early voting, especially by mail with absentee ballots, has drastically increased, they're essentially running two kinds of election systems. So what we experienced in 2008 was people that were voting early, uh, you know, right up until the day before Election Day, it was, it was, a, it was a glut of paper coming in. Mm-hmm. So the absentee votes are usually counted first. So you, you had board, some boards of elections in the more populous counties were having difficulty getting everything done and getting the vote count in by noon the day after the election. Mm-hmm. They were very frustrated. They'd already been working myriad of hours, and, and they were emotionally having a very tough time. So you know they, they liked the idea of, many of them liked the idea of cutting it off the Friday before the election, but yet in Cuyahoga County, which is the most populous county of Ohio, they did such a great job up there in the 2008 election that they didn't have any problems managing all this and getting the vote in on time with 
over a million registered voters. The, the most populous and the most Democratic-leaning, we should add, uh, in, in, Colorado, in uh, uh, Cuyahoga Correct. County. Um, okay. So, so, yeah. Brad, there's one thing I should point out, yeah. too, is that the extended early voting hours were allowed in the primary this year, mm-hmm. but now they're being disallowed in the general. Right. That is really counterintuitive. Did they did they allow even uh, in those last three days before the election uh, during the primaries this year in Ohio? Uh, no, and during the primary, I believe the legislature had already passed House Bill 224, which had okay uh, just a little glitch in it that was supposed to be corrective, but ended up wiping out those last three days. So you had Democrats and Republicans overwhelmingly voting for this bill because it was to promote voting for military and overseas absentee voters, right. not knowing there was this little hidden thing in there that really caused a lot of people problems. But, but so during the, the, the primary elections this year in Ohio, we had weeknight early voting. We had weekend early voting on some we days. We did, except for the last weekend. Right. Right. So, uh, and that is now what uh, Secretary of State, the new Secretary of State, your successor, is is trying to cut off. Now, what are, explain, uh, uh, Jennifer Brunner, former Secretary of State of Ohio, please explain what are the constitutional powers of the Secretary of State? Does does the Secretary of State have the power to simply fire uh, a Board of Elections officials when, they, when for not following a directive, as uh, John Husted is now threatening to do? Uh, to these two officials in Montgomery County. I, I know that you have, you yourself uh, removed uh, the entire Cuyahoga, Cuyahoga County Board of Elections uh, at one point back in 2007. So w- what exactly are those powers, and, and is uh, John Husted uh, exploiting them uh, here or using them properly? Well, the Secretary of State really is the chief election official of the state of Ohio, has statutory powers to appoint Board of Elections members under certain circumstances with assistance from the local political parties, and also to to remove them or the director or the deputy director. But it has to go through a due process uh, procedure. And so uh, the the Board of Elections are required to follow the directives of the Secretary of State. So those directives that the Secretary can issue really do uh, become the force of law for Boards of Elections. And so the position is carries with it some power. Um, the, the question being, was it, was it prudent for Secretary Husted to jump in and, and just say, boom, you're out because you, you didn't do what I wanted you to do? Um, those, those members of the board in Montgomery County and Dayton felt that his directive actually left some room, some wiggle room for mm-hmm. them to say, okay, we're going to follow your directive on business hours, but it doesn't say that we can't do more. They checked with their county prosecutor their county prosecutor said, I agree, you've, you've got the leeway to do it. So the, the, the motion was made at the board meeting last Friday. The, the, two, the two Republicans voted no, the two Democrats voted yes, so it went to the secretary for a tie. Right. Rather than breaking the tie vote, uh, his election director essentially ordered them to reconvene and rescind the motion. Now, the election director, unless he was given statutory authority that was delegated to him, really didn't have the authority to tell them that they had to do that. That was uh, that election director is Matt Damschroeder, as I recall. That's correct. Uh, the same fella, if I remember correctly, who, who passed on a, a $10,000 donation from uh, from Diebold, the voting machine company, uh, years ago and said, oh, no, I can't take it, but uh, give it to the Republican Party, I think, is, is the way that the, that was carried out. Now he's the election director under the new Secretary of State. 
That's correct. So instead of uh, the Secretary of State simply coming in and breaking the tie and voting against what it was that these uh, two Democratic uh, Board of Elections officials were calling for, they were calling for expanded weekend voting, instead of coming in, breaking the tie, saying, no, no, we're, we're not going to have any voting on weekends, they send a, a notice to these officials that they must withdraw uh, their vote? It, it, am I really understanding that correctly? Yeah, I think it's kind of difficult to rescind a motion once it's been voted on. Uh, but, I mean, I, we don't need to get that technical. Um, the, the, the issue is that kind of an order really has to come from the secretary or for someone to whom the secretary has formally delegated the authority. So, uh, the you know, the secretary has the right to summarily suspend, which he did. Uh-huh. Uh, so these two now cannot act at all on behalf of the Board of Elections, and um, hopefully the time to certify the August special election involving school levies in the county will not occur during the suspension period. Um, but we'll, we'll, see what, we'll see what happens. Oftentimes this administration will cite written um, decisions that I have, have made and praise them um, when they suit uh, to, uh, supporting what they're trying to do. Which they did in this case as well. Well, listen, and 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 I'll, I'll I'll speak in a minute or so here. I have actually supported some of what John Husted has done as well. <clears throat> he was frankly he was instrumental in holding off photo ID restrictions uh, in Ohio. Uh, he sort of bucked his own party to do that. But I'm trying to understand. Uh, it seems like he could have simply. Uh, voted, uh, you know, against what they were calling for, rather than suspend uh, these two Democratic officials. I, 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 I do. Do they have? Um, well, first off, uh, can this be challenged in a court of law? I know they're having a hearing on on Monday. If he ends up suspending and firing them, uh, are they able to go to a court of law to to challenge uh, that happening by the Secretary of State? Um, yes, they have the ability to go to court and okay. challenge it. And I think if they're um, if they're removed from office, you'll likely see that happen. Okay, uh, and do they? Because uh, I'm really trying to make sense of it. I don't understand why he has to suspend them versus just you know say no, sorry, no weekend voting. Can they? If there was a board, uh, a county board that chose to have weekend voting, uh, not just the Democrats but Democrats and Republicans alike, could they do it? Can they uh, actually go against a directive? In other words, a directive is not the rule of law in Ohio. It's just sort of a recommendation from the Secretary of State, is it not? Well, it, it actually, there are two statutes. The statute allows the Secretary of State to issue directives, and it, 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 it actually requires the Secretary to do so, and it requires the Board of Elections to follow the directives. However, if a, a Board of Elections member, especially in the case of someone who thinks that it may be unconstitutional, um, and if they, if they really, in their conscience, in taking their oath of office to follow the laws and the Constitution of the state of Ohio and the United States, feel that what they're, what they're doing it would really violate their oath, um, well, the issue of the Nuremberg trial came up in the argument between the board members at the time. Really? Yes, it did. <laughs> Man, uh, that's how uh, that's how uh, tempers are flaring in in Ohio when it comes to elections. I guess now you you know uh, uh, John Husted. Uh, I assume you worked together during uh, the transition uh, as you were leaving and he was coming in. By the way, I'm speaking with former Ohio Secretary of State. 
Uh, Jennifer Brunner, you're listening to the Bradcast on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. Um, so I, I presume you got to work with him a, a little bit. As I said, I was giving him the benefit of the doubt. He made a very strong statement against uh, photo ID restrictions uh, when uh, his, his fellow Republicans tried to uh, get that into law. And let me just read this two-sentence a very strong statement from uh, Secretary of State John Husted. Uh, he said, quote, I want to be perfectly clear. When I began working with the General Assembly to improve Ohio's elections system, it was never my intent to reject valid votes. I would rather have no bill than one with a rigid photo identification provision that does little to protect against fraud and excludes legally registered voters' ballots from being counted. I thought that was a very strong statement. He, he made other uh, 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 statements and, and provisions that I, I supported. And then we come to this, and now I'm getting concerned. So based on your experience with him, uh, Jennifer Brunner, should we be concerned about what may happen this November? Is this going to be another J. Kenneth Blackwell election in Ohio, or is it going to be closer to a, uh, a Jennifer Brunner election in Ohio? Well, I, we, we've got about 76 days before the election, so there, there's probably going to be a period of time here where a court sorts out a lot of these issues. Um, the, you know, the, what I, what my experience with Secretary Husted was when he served as Speaker of the House and I served as Secretary of State in Ohio, mm-hmm. and we had a very clear difference of opinion on the issue of uniformity. He thought that uniformity was... Um, appropriate when it applies to form, um, as I've learned over time and felt that way when I held the office, uniformity has more to do with the substance. So so you mean uniformity, uh, he, he believed in uniformity, we should have the same hours across all the, sta- all the counties in the state when it comes to voting, uniformity in that sense? In, in, in that time in 2008, he thought that in terms of counties who mailed out to every registered voter in the county, the absentee ballot application, that if one county did it, all the counties should be able to do it, and that if it wasn't equal across the counties, that there was that there was a problem. In fact, he and the president of the Senate even appropriated $3 million to my office to force me to do that, but it wasn't enough money, and they never bothered to check with me before they did it. So it, it, it ended up, again, backfiring on them because uh, ultimately – the counties that the counties were permitted to do it if they wanted to, mm-hmm. and the counties that chose to do it were the large counties, and the counties that chose not to do it were the small counties, which was what he was trying to avoid. And the money that was left over was actually used to settle a lawsuit that put a <laughs> consent decree into place for for five years, for six years actually, mm-hmm. um, which actually has constrained the office to having to do particular things that were part of the reform efforts that protect voters. So, going back to your original question. Yeah. I think there'll be many of the safeguards still in place because of that consent decree, that consent order from the federal court. Um, and I think it's it's unfortunate for him and for Ohioans that we're going to go through a rough patch here, sorting out some of the disagreements that uh, I was hoping he wouldn't have to deal with and that Ohio voters wouldn't have to deal with. So you're hopeful that things will work out, but you don't yet, the jury is still out. Is, is that where you where you are at this time? Well, uh, I, I'm hopeful that things will work out because I, I, I do think they're trying to approach it professionally, but just with a very big difference of opinion. 
uh, and hopefully the the partisan any type of partisan approach will stay out of the process. But I think that in the end, the courts will sort it out. So you don't think he's necessarily do, – do you think he's being partisan in these decisions, that, that John Houston is being partisan in these decisions, or or is he just a, a believer in, in uniformity? And if he's – by the way, if he's a believer in uniformity, why not just uh, make uniform expanded voting hours on the weekend across the entire state? Well, that would be, that would be my approach, but um, – he also is listening to boards of elections who are saying, we know best, let us tell you what is going to work best. And unfortunately, sometimes boards of elections who are pushing hard for efficiency sometimes lose sight of the forest for the trees. And, uh, and, and again, it's, you'll, you'll find many boards who say, we'll do what it takes, and if it means it's harder for us to make sure that we've not lost any particular vote, were there. Other boards are taking more of a tack, unfortunately, that I've heard coming from the state level, which is it's a, a privilege to vote, and if people have to work hard to be able to vote, so be it, without looking at taking people where they are in the circumstances in which you find them. One last uh, thought I would love to get from you here, um, Madam Secretary. Uh, Doug Price, the, uh, I mentioned it at the top of the show, he's the chairman of the Franklin County Republican Party. He's an election board member there. Uh, he voted against weekend voting hours in Ohio. He told the Columbus Dispatch, quote, I guess I really actually feel we shouldn't contort the voting process to accommodate the urban read African-American voter turnout machine. What's your response to, uh, to that statement from, from Doug Price? Um, I was really upset when he said, you can quote me. I think he used an expletive. Yeah, um, that was the next line. Yeah, he said he yeah. claimed that unfairness, he called claims of unfairness by the Ohio Democratic Chairman Chris Redfern and others uh, BS, and that wasn't the word he used, but he said BS, quote me. Yeah, yeah, and I, uh, I think it's very unfortunate because – we're already in a rancorous political climate, starting from Congress and the presidential election on down. Why why stir up the pot and pit voters against each other? Enough of that was done in 2008. There was so much political capital spent in 2008 on whipping up these fake allegations of voter fraud. And now, four years later, people realize that, what were there, 10 cases Around the country in in a since 2000. That's right. Ten cases of in-person impersonation, the only type of uh, voter fraud that could possibly be stopped by photo ID restrictions. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is so unnecessary. I mean, the bottom line is, with voting, voting is not a partisan issue. It should never be a partisan issue. It's having control of the rules is not political booty. It's it's. It really should be a, a, a place where everyone walks into that room, they drop their partisan cloak, they stand up, they act like grown-ups, and they say, let's do what's fair because our future depends on it. 
Acting like grown-ups in the state of Ohio, uh, boy, uh, good luck with that. But uh, Jennifer Bruner, uh, I hear you, and uh, and I agree with you certainly on that last point. Uh, and by the way, I thank you for your your service in Ohio. Uh, I, I miss you there, frankly. But uh, but thanks for joining us here on KPFK today. And uh, I, I have a, a sneaking suspicion I may have to give you a shout between now and Election Day, depending on how things go. But uh, thank, thank you, you very much, Madam Secretary. Jennifer Brunner, former Secretary of State of Ohio. What is known? And the evidence is clear. I'm not alone. There are thousands of us here. This is my democracy. You won't go telling me. My vote don't matter anymore. No, you won't tell me that. You're listening to the Bradcast on KPFK. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. By the way, I play that a little bit more, G. This, that's uh, Victoria Parks who wrote this song after the 2004 election in Ohio. And we're still playing it here eight years later. Fighting for your democracy right here on the broadcast on KPFK. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back with a few more news items and, of course, Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. Stay with us. KPFK listeners have been asking what happened to Access Unlimited? Well, we've moved to Wednesday evenings from 7 to 8 at 90.7 FM. We'll be on the radio then. You gave me hope, not just the old soft soap. You showed that we could learn to share in time. You and me and Rockefeller. It's not easy being green. It seems you blend in with so many other ordinary things. And people tend to pass you over because you're not standing out like flashy sparkles in the water or stars in the sky. Hey, Desi Doyen. Hey, how's it going? You look like flashy sparkles in the water and clouds in the sky today. Why, thank you. You look good. You got, uh, why you have so much makeup on? You're just uh, going on the radio. Well, what's the, you should ask. Yeah, thank you for asking. No, I, uh, I went today to uh, record The Point, which oh, is a point. panel and public affairs show with the Young Turks. The Young Turks. And okay, it will good. be uh, posted online at <clears throat> theyoungturks.com on Friday. Excellent. Did you, did you say anything funny? God, I hope so. You hope so? <laughs> we'll find out. Uh, it'll yes, be, we'll uh, find out. All right, welcome back to the Bradcast on KPFK. I'm Brad Friedman of bradblog.com. That is, of course, our uh, our uh, producer, Desi Doyen. She's also my co-host uh, of the Green News Report, heard uh, coast to coast and around the globe on fine progressive radio stations. Uh, and uh, should I get right to the, uh, you know what, um, a couple of, uh, before we get to the Green News here, uh, just a couple of points, uh, because we ran long there with the Secretary of State. So I'm going to point you over to bradblog.com to follow what's going on. I wanted to get into this into some detail, didn't get to, but what's going on in the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, never mind Ohio this year, frankly. Uh, Pennsylvania looks like we could see an absolute disaster out there with some 1.6 million voters 
Legal voters who may not be able to cast their vote uh, this November thanks to the photo ID restrictions that have been put in place by Republicans there, despite the fact, uh, as uh, you heard the Secretary of State say there before the break, despite the fact that a new study from News 21 shows that uh, going all the way back to 2000, in all 50 states... Out of millions and millions. uh, Hundreds of millions of votes cast, uh, they were able to find just 10 cases of in-person impersonation at the polling place. That's the only type not of even, voter fraud. Not even tens, just ten. Not, right, not tens. Ten and some of those uh, ten uh, might not have done it on purpose, might not have known, known what they did. They gave one example in the uh, News 21 story of a fellow who, one of the ten, uh, who voted for George W. Bush back in uh, 2000, or actually, I think it was 2004. Uh, his his dad uh, couldn't vote that day. His dad was sick or something. He was 17 years old. He went in and voted under his dad's name for his dad. I don't. It's not even clear that he knew that he wasn't supposed to be able to do that. Anyway, 10 cases uh, in Pennsylvania before the recent trial over this photo ID. The state admitted. Where do I? I, I got to read you just part of what they admitted. Because this was remarkable. The the state admitted before this trial challenging the photo ID law in Pennsylvania that could disenfranchise up to 1.6 million voters. Uh, They they offered a concession before the uh, stipulation, before the trial even began. Here's part of it. Quote, uh, they were unaware of of any investigations or prosecutions of in-person voter fraud in Pennsylvania. And that they, quote, are not aware of any incidents of in-person voter fraud in Pennsylvania and do not have direct personal knowledge of in-person voter fraud elsewhere. And that the state would offer no evidence during the trial that, quote, in-person voter fraud is likely to occur in November 2012 in the absence of the photo ID law. So, I mean, and the entire case was a disaster for the state, a disaster for the Commonwealth. Before it even began, they offered that stipulation. That they uh, have no evidence to justify the law that they're trying to pass. The Secretary of the Commonwealth uh, on the stand said that she had no idea, quote, she does not know, quote, what the law says. I mean, it it was just a a disaster in every uh, respect. At the end of the uh, trial, the opponents of this law felt it was, quote, a slam dunk that they were going to win. And nonetheless, the Commonwealth Court judge, uh, Republican, uh, sided with the Republicans and allowed this uh, law to stand. It's now being challenged. It's going to go to the Supreme Court, but there's a split on the Supreme Court, three Republicans, three Democrats. If they tie then the lower court ruling stands. I I mention all of this to say go to bradblog.com and read Ernie Canning's story. It's at the top of uh, bradblog.com right now explaining the next step here. The Department of Justice is likely to challenge this uh, uh, Pennsylvania law under, under federal law, under the Constitution, under the Voting Rights Act. Uh, they have asked documents, uh, they have asked the state to give them documents um, to help them determine if we have a, a violation of uh, the Voting Rights Act. The state of Pennsylvania has now told the DOJ to go pound sand. That's how I'll put it nicely on the radio. They've told them to get lost. Uh, you know, they say you have no jurisdiction here. Beat it, Department of Justice. We don't want you here. 
well, this is likely to bring a, uh, a challenge, a federal challenge. So well, good. I'm glad that. that there will be yeah. some kind of support from the Department of Justice on this, because all of these laws that you guys have talked about, the uh, restrictions on early voting, yep. the rest- photo ID restrictions yep. that make it more difficult for legal voters to vote, uh, the, the voter registration purges that have been going on in yep. states with Republican legislatures and Republican se- secretaries of state, all of these Actions are making it harder for legal voters to vote. And that's all this is about. It's about voter suppression, period. That's all it's about. It has nothing to do with fraud. And uh, so, yeah, the DOJ, you know, they've been doing an okay job in in some of the states that are covered by Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act that requires uh, these uh, jurisdictions with a, a history of suppression, uh, of, of, suppression, of discrimination, uh, requires them to get preclearance. But in states like preclearance for new election laws, but in states like Pennsylvania, they're not uh, bound by Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act. They are bound as are all 50 states, by Section 2, which also uh, disallows discrimination against voters under Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. They may be bringing a case under Section 2 now in Pennsylvania. That's good news. But you know the bad news? They're not bringing a case under Section 2 in Tennessee, in Kansas, in Wisconsin, in all of these other states that are not covered. But, I, you know, I guess the Obama administration doesn't see them as important as, uh, as Pennsylvania, because it is important to them, uh, to, to Barack Obama. But the fact is, it's important to me that every voter who wants to vote legally gets to vote. And we're talking about, you know, they might not care if they win uh, the state of Kansas or Tennessee or even Wisconsin. Uh, but, you know, as, as Jennifer Bruner said before we went to break, uh, voting should be nonpartisan. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but that's a fact. It should be the way we run elections should be nonpartisan. And the fact that, uh, you know, someone lives in Kansas that may go for uh, Mitt Romney, fine. But if a voter wants to be able to vote for Mitt Romney or anybody else, he should not be, he or she should not be denied that right and they should have the full faith and support and uh, the uh, of the Justice Department. Of the Justice Department should have their back, and they don't, and no matter they what haven't. state they're in. That's exactly right. All right, but you came here not to talk about that, Desi Doyen. No, I come but here to talk news. about green news, right. energy, and environment. All right, let's bring some green news, uh, our latest green news report uh, right now, and then we'll come back for a few more minutes with Desi Doyen. This has been a very busy year so far, going from one fire to the other. It's official. Worst fire season ever. The female body has ways to try to shut that whole thing down. Congressman Todd Akin, one of many anti-science Republicans on the U.S. House Science Committee. More industrial farming animal abuse. China ventures into the Arctic. Plus, brain-eating amoebas in Oklahoma. Sounds delicious. All of that and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comments. During a speech a few months ago, Governor Romney even explained his energy policy this way. Uh, I'm quoting here. You can't drive a car with a windmill on it. I don't know if he's actually tried that. I know he's had other things on his car. Well, meow, Mr. President. This is your Green News Report.
Okay, Des, before we get started today, some business welcoming aboard a few new affiliate partners. The Shannon Moore Show joins the Green News Report, as heard on Fox News Talk Radio, KOAN AM 1020 and 95.5 FM in Anchorage, Alaska. Yes, you heard me right, Fox News Radio. Glad to have them aboard. Awesome. And also heard on We Act Radio, WPWC, 1480 AM in Washington, D.C., that's right. The Green News Report is now heard in our nation's capital. About time, you I might should, say. I agree. What do you have for us today, Des? Well, you've probably heard about the controversial comments about rape made by Representative Todd Aiken, a Missouri Republican from the House of Representatives, who's now locked in a tight campaign for Missouri's Senate seat against the incumbent conservative Democrat Claire McCaskill. No, I hadn't heard about him. What did he say? Well, essentially, Aiken believes that there's some kind of secret spermicidal formula that women secretly contain that enables them to somehow prevent pregnancy from occurring if there is a rape, and of course that is complete and utter bunk. Aiken is a Tea Party Republican who's also a climate change denier who rejects the global scientific consensus that the earth is warming and humans are primarily responsible. So he believes in non-existent science, that women can stop themselves from being impregnated by using their awesome mind powers, and yet he doesn't believe in actual existing science telling us that the globe is warming at an alarming rate. That's correct. And what's even worse is Aiken is a member of the House Committee on Science, which writes legislation and allocates federal funding for science and research. Federal regulators have shut down a California slaughterhouse after receiving yet another undercover video showing abuse and torture of sick animals. The U.S. Department of Agriculture Inspector General on Monday suspended operations at Central Meat Company in Hanford, California, after finding evidence of, quote, egregious, inhumane handling and treatment of livestock. The undercover video of abuse was released by the animal welfare group Compassion Over Killing. State legislatures in Iowa and Utah this year have passed legislation criminalizing the undercover videotaping of animal abuse. Not criminalizing the abuse, but criminalizing the videotaping of the abuse? That's correct. Unbelievable. It's official. July 2012 was the fourth warmest July on record for the entire planet. Now, in the U.S., July was the hottest month ever in U.S. history. But globally, so far, this July was only the fourth warmest ever recorded. The Arctic is also seeing that persistent heat, causing near-record melting. Scientists at the U.S. National Snow and Ice Data Center say that satellite measurements so far this summer show that ice cover in the Arctic is now approaching the all-time record low set back in 2007. And that has several countries vying for access to the mineral and energy riches buried beneath the Arctic Ocean. The race is on. Indeed it is. For the first time ever, the Chinese have sent a ship into the Arctic Ocean, and icebreakers ship that they say is on a scientific expedition, and it has become the first Chinese ship to cross the now open Arctic Ocean. Thousands have been evacuated as wind-driven wildfires threaten rural towns across the Mountain West in California and Idaho. The relentless fire season is exhausting fire crews, says Daniel Berlant from the state agency Cal Fire. We have over 1,400 firefighters uh, this morning battling this fire. This has been a very busy year so far. So can we connect the dots then between the record heat this summer, the record drought this summer, the record fires this summer? Can we connect all of those dots to global warming? Yes, climate scientists have predicted an increase in the wildfire season, and now it is official. 2012 just broke the record for the biggest U.S. wildfire season ever. According to the National Interagency Fire Center on Monday, wildfires have burned a record amount of acreage in the U.S., nearly 7 million acres. 
Finally, the drought and heat waves this summer have another unpleasant side effect, brain-eating amoebas. Okay, they don't actually eat your brain, but state officials are warning Oklahoma residents to be careful when swimming in freshwater lakes and rivers due to a particular kind of amoeba that thrives in warm, fresh water that causes a very particular kind of fatal encephalitis or swelling of the brain. Ouch. For more on that story and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download us anytime on iTunes. You can listen to us on your smart device via Stitcher Radio. Follow us 24-7 on the Twitters at Green News Report. And now, even on Facebook. Head on over there and look up Green News Report. You'll find us. Please like us while you're there. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. Not enough rain, indeed, anywhere yeah. in the country. Uh, well done, Desi Doyne. Uh, let me ask you this uh, in the minute or so we have left. Uh, given this unbelievable summer of record heat, record drought, record wildfires, uh, I suspect I know the answer here, but how's the corporate mainstream media doing in uh, reporting this? Are they uh, reporting the, the fires and the heat and the drought but not tying it? to uh, global warming? Generally, yes, that's what they're doing. Uh, they're media, failing. Yeah, they're they're failing to cover the entire uh, spectrum and tying it together with climate change, as climate scientists have done. Now, I have to give some props to NPR and to NBC. And, you know, and CBS and, and ABC, they did a little bit where they actually, like, I think once mentioned, hey, you know, scientists say that we're going to see more extreme and intense weather events happen more frequently with global warming and Yet uh, they stopped talking about that once the major wildfires in Colorado kind of petered out. So now that they're not talking about extreme weather, now they're talking about other things like, you know, the kind of crazy, silly season stuff with the politics. They are not discussing that linkage. That uh, has been how, made. how about Barack Obama? Is, is he uh, linking it? Is he talking about it out oh, there no. on the stump? No, no, the president just generally doesn't talk about uh, climate change or global warming anymore. And I think because he's not talking about it, that gives the media an excuse to not talk about it as well. We'll see if anybody brings it up in the presidential debate. It'll I be forgot. Interesting. That's right. They, uh, they take their marching orders from the politicians, don't they? Well, if they don't talk about it, then they, the then media they doesn't talk about yeah, it. Yeah, I know. They, they can't go out, up, yeah, they could, they we'll go out and do they... some enterprise reporting and actually serve the, uh, the, the electorate the way they're supposed to rather than waiting for marching orders from the politicians. I'm just silly that way. Uh, hey, this is uh, good to be back uh, here on the Bradcast. Uh, and we will be back, same Brad time, same Brad channel next week right here on KPFK. Stay tuned uh, right now. Coming up, John Wiener in the 4 o'clock report on the promise of Occupy Wall Street. Whatever happened to that? My thanks uh, to my uh, guest today, former Ohio Secretary of State Jennifer Brunner. Of course, to our producer, Desi Doyen, our super-duper associate producer, Margo Paez, our soundboard operator, G. And if you missed any portion of the show, we'll try to get it up for you tonight at uh, both kpfk.org and bradblog.com. We'll see you on the Twitters at the Bradblog, And otherwise, uh, until next week, we'll see you at bradblog.com. Good night, America.